Good evening. How are you? I hope you're well. It's really good to be here. I'm just going to get straight into it and start with the word. The word's always a good place to start, isn't it? Okay. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. We'll start there. I've asked for it to be shown in the Amplified um, because I like it. (laughs) It's got some good stuff in this. Okay, so Christ is our advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. My little children, believers, dear ones, I am writing you these things so that you will not sin and violate God's law. If anyone sins, we have an advocate who will intercede for us with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the upright, the just one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way, purpose, thought, and action. And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation for all of our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, our lifestyle. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all the believers throughout the world, the whole world. And this is how we know daily by experience that we have come to know him, to understand him, and to be more deeply acquainted with him. Isn't that amazing? Daily, to be acquainted with him. Deeply acquainted with him. If we habitually keep focused on his precepts and obey his commandments, his teachings, whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not habitually keep focused on his precepts and obey his commandments, his teachings, is a liar. And the truth of the divine word is not in him. But whoever habitually keeps his word and obeys his precepts and the treasures in his message in its entirety, in him is the love of God. It has been truly perfected. It is completed and it has reached full maturity. By this we know for certain that we are in him. Whoever says he lives in Christ... That is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and saviour ought, as a moral obligation, to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the message which you have heard from us before. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true and realized in Christ and in you, because the darkness of moral blindness is clearing away for the true light. The revelation of God in Christ is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, in consistent fellowship with Christ, and yet habitually hates work, hates works against his brother in Christ, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves and unselfishly seeks the best for his believing brothers lives in the light and in him there is no occasion for stumbling or offence. He does not hurt the cause of Christ or lead his others to sin. But the one who habitually hates works against his brother in Christ is in spiritual darkness and is walking in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, children, believers, dear ones, because your sins have been forgiven in his name's sake. You have been pardoned and released from all debt, spiritual debt, through his name, because you have confessed his name, believing in him as saviour. Wow, that's a lot to get your head round, isn't it? It's a, it's a big message. And I'm aware that what I'm going to speak on tonight might bring some things up in us which maybe are a little bit uncomfortable. So you might find things that you need to put on the cross tonight. And that's okay because that's what the cross is for.
Because the truth is, is that all of our things that go on the cross are gone forever. There's no condemnation here tonight. But if you find things coming up as I'm speaking, you don't need to keep them. Chuck them on the cross. Get rid of them. Get free. So we're going to speak tonight and learn about, myself included, about honour. And I don't know about you, but I grew up with mixed messages on honour. And I often got told, you've got to honour your parents. Does anyone else hear that? You have to honour your parents. It's true, it's in the Bible, isn't it? And at a basic level, yeah, we do. We have to do what the Bible says. But as I've been preparing this message and as I've been learning myself about what it is to honour, it's actually much deeper than just following a set of instructions and following a set of teachings and a set of laws which mean we need to honour somebody or honour something just because it is in place. What I've been learning is that to honour somebody or to give honour away, which actually as Christians should be a normal stance that we have, it's a heart intention. It's a value system that we have or should have on the inside of us. It's a way that we love one another. It's a way that we act towards each other and prefer one another as believers to honour somebody. It's not just a, you need to honour me because I'm a, whatever the title is. It's, what's going on inside you? Can you honour someone? Can you prefer them above your, your own agenda? I'm justified. I don't need to honour that person. They did this to me in 1972. I wasn't even alive then. I don't know why I chose 72. <laughs> Things come up. <laughs> Things come up in us, don't they? And we kind of make ourselves okay with it. It doesn't quite measure up with what the Bible says, but do you know what? This happened, and this is what I think now. And we, when we get ourselves into a place where we've decided something's okay. And if we go back to the absolute black and white of what we've just read in 1 John, we need to be living in the light. And the light is... Loving each other and preferring each other and honouring one another. So this is actually going to be a two-part message. So this week I'm just going to lay out a foundation of what does this look like? And then next week we're going to look at, well, how do we do that? And how do we do that in our church? And why am I important in that process? Because you are. You are very important in the process. So we're going to look at that next week. I believe that to honour each other is not just a biblical principle, but it's also a heavenly one. A, he a principle of heaven is honour. It's to prefer one another, to love one another, and to value one another. I was asking God what he wanted to say to us tonight, and I believe that he said this really simply. My plan has always been redemption with a purpose to connect and have a relationship with you. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus wasn't a plan B. God has always had a plan to connect with us and to have a relationship with us. Okay, I've got a little game for us. Saturday night, we're not at home in front of a quiz show, but we're in church. Are you ready? Does anybody know or anybody want to have a guess? How many laws there are in the Old Testament? Yes, too many. Well said, Ali. I've got them on here. How many laws do you think there are in the Old Testament? 270? No, there's more. There's less than 850. There's less than 680. There's more than 520. 630, less than 630. 
Getting close, less than 620. More than 580. It's good maths here. Shall I tell you? 600, there's just a few more than 600. Less. Less than 618. Less than 615. More. Yes, 613. Phil, would you help me? Would you come and grab this piece of paper? This is 613 laws. Okay? And I did it in font size 10 so I could fit it all on my big piece of paper. Can you imagine trying to fulfill 613 laws? I'm so glad I'm born after Jesus came. Thanks, Phil. 613 laws in the Old Testament. It's impossible to keep them, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever read through Leviticus, where all the laws are given out. Some of them are intense, to put it mildly. Do you know, I looked up what the word law means, and it's a noun. It is the system of rules in which a particular country or community recognizes as regulating the actions of its members and which it may enforce by the imposition of penalties. Sounds scary, doesn't it? It's not very nice. So all the people in the Old Testament, the Jews, this is what they had to do. They had to keep 613 laws all the time. 613 laws all the time. I don't know if anybody remembers this. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, uh, the BBC made a documentary, and it was about Jews living in Manchester. And they just went into different families, and they looked at how people live. And I remember this program quite vividly because they showed how Jewish wives and mothers kind of got round some of the laws. So I remember there was this one lady, she had liked to host everybody on the Sabbath. And to do that, she had to spend hours and hours and hours on a Friday preparing this massive feast because they're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And you're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. It's this big law, you can't do anything. To the extent where she wasn't even allowed to open her fridge because... When you open your fridge, there's a switch that flicks and the light comes on. Well, if any pressure is applied on a switch or something like that, it's classed as you're forcing something, so it's classed as work. So the day before the Sabbath, she had to rig up this tape and this rope, which she put inside her fridge so that she could open it without the light coming on, so that she didn't think she was breaking a law. And I thought, oh my goodness, these people are just bless them, trying to live without breaking these laws. But actually, in our generation, in our culture, that is really hard to do. It's kind of like they're missing the point. They're missing the point of what the law was there for because that's not helping anyone or it's not fulfilling anything or helping them to have a great time and connect with their family and, and help each other and honour each other. It's just a formality to the point where they're trying to get around it. And last year, I um, took my two little girls swimming, which they love to do. And um, they're, they're very little. Uh, last year, they were one and three. And they, of course, need armbands. You know what armbands are? Those big, brightly colored water wings you inflate with air, put them around your arms, and your children stay above the water, which is where we want them to be. So um, I took them down to my parents who live um, just south of Manchester and I realised, oh no, I've forgotten Morgan's armbands. So three-year-old, of course, she's been learning to swim, but she can't swim, so she needs the armbands. So I called the local pool and I said, hi, I'm visiting from the northeast. I'm going to bring my children swimming. I've forgotten the armbands. Please may we borrow some. And the lady on the phone said, I just need to go and check with my manager. I was like, okay. So I waited and then she came back onto the phone and she said, um, I'm sorry, madam, but you can't borrow any armbands. 
for health and safety reasons. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, if anything was to happen to your child whilst wearing our armbands that you borrow from us, um, we would then be liable. So we are not prepared to lend you any armbands. And I took a step back and I thought, hang on a minute. My three-year-old, whose feet do not touch the bottom of the pool, needs armbands to stay on top of the pool so that she doesn't have an accident, so that she's safe. But you won't lend me any armbands because of health and safety. I thought, wow, you've missed the point. There's no point having rules if they don't fulfill a purpose of helping people. What's the point of even having armbands if people can't use them to be helped? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I've probably overthought it now. <laughs> but I think if you're going to do something and have something in place and have a rule, it should be there for the benefit of the people. Yeah. But then if you take that out of it and you just think, oh, three-year-old needs to have a nice time swimming. She just needs some armbands. I did buy her some. I bought them instead so that they weren't liable. I thought, isn't it crazy? People lose sight of the reason behind the law, so actually it makes no sense. It makes no sense. The whole point of God's law was relationship. He wanted to have a way that he could be close with us. So the point of the whole 613 laws was so that God could draw near, so that he had a way to us. That's what he wanted. Enter Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus came to fulfill the law completely. And if we look at Luke 10, verse 27, Jesus was answered, uh, sorry, Jesus was questioned about what's the most important thing. So we've got all these laws. What's the most important? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the whole point. The whole point of why we're here. The whole point of what Jesus did. The whole point was to love God and to love people. Love God and love people. That is our mandate. If you're not sure why you're here, not sure what you should be doing, this is it. It's to love God and to love people. I also looked up what the word honour means. And honour the noun means high respect and great esteem. The quality of knowing and doing what is morally right. And if we're just fulfilling laws, we would know, wouldn't we, that morally we're right. Yes, you can't borrow the armbands because this might happen and then we would have a lawsuit. So morally I'm right because I've done the right thing. But it's of no benefit because the word honour is also a verb, which is a word that is an action. It's a doing word. And the doing word, the action of honour, is to regard with great respect, is to fulfill an obligation or to keep an agreement. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to take something that was created as a law to actually translate it into an action so that we can love God and love people and be of benefit to other people to bring his kingdom to earth. He changes our entire perspective on what the law was. He changes our perspective, not of what we should be doing and what we feel like should be the right thing and I need to do this and then I feel justified and I can do this because it makes sense to me. That's not why he came. He came to fulfill it to say, do you know what? It's not about doing 613 things that are on a piece of paper. It is about transforming the lives of the people around us to show them that it's God's love that transforms. That is what people need. They don't need a to-do list of all of these long list of all of these laws that they need to do. They need to know that they are loved. Because once you know you are loved, 
what can you do? You can give it away. Because God is not in short supply of love. You can honor people. You can value other people because your love tank is full. This is exactly why Jesus came. He was trying to bring some perspective. Love God and love people. It's actually all about the people. And he goes on to explain this more in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Oh my goodness. Breaking the law was a big deal, wasn't it? At the time. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions are hungry? He's saying like, what do you do when you get hungry? We eat. He's taking it away from all of this legal law that has to be done. And he's saying, do you know what? If people are hungry, they need to eat. It's so basic and it's so simple. And he's even saying David did it. He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet they are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. They totally missed the point. They were all about, what are we allowed to do? Should we do this? Should we heal people? Yes, of course, it's a person. It's like they need a wake-up call, which is what Jesus did, didn't he? He gave us a wake-up call. It's about people. It's all about honoring and valuing others. We need to have the eyes to see others the way that Jesus does, because it's not about, are we allowed to do this? Or should we do that? It's seeing people and it's seeing a need and it's saying, I can do something about that. What can I do? What can I bring? How can I help? I'm good at this. Oh, I could do this for them. Let's move on and have a look at Philippians 3, verse 7 to 15. Okay, Philippians 3. But I gave up those things that were so important to me for Christ. Even more than that, I think of everything as worth nothing. It is so much better to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for him. And I think of these things as worth nothing so that I can have Christ. I want to be as one with him. I could not be right with him by what the law said so. Sorry, by what the law said I must do. I was made right with God by faith in Christ. I want to know him 
I want to have the same power in my life that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to understand and have share in his sufferings and be like Christ in his death. Then I may be raised up from among the dead. I do not say that I have received this or I have already become perfect, but I keep on. I keep on to make the life my own as Christ Jesus made me his own. No Christian brothers, I do not have that life yet, but I do one thing. I forget everything that is behind me and I look forward to that which is ahead of me. My eyes are on the crown. I want to win the race and get the crown of God's call from heaven through Christ Jesus. All of us who are full-grown Christians should think this way. If you do not think this way, God will show it to you. So let us keep on obeying the same truth that we have already been following. Jesus makes us right with God. He fulfills the law. There is nothing missing from the equation. 613 equals 2. It's a truth. Jesus has fulfilled everything. There's no shame. There's no shame. So we can take these down because there's no shame for everybody to see. It's gone. Isn't that amazing? Everything's gone. It's done. It is complete. It is finished. It's what the cross did. It's what Jesus did on the cross. He made everything finished. So for those of you who don't know, I'm married to Daniel, who is sitting here. And I don't know how things work in your marriage, but um, God's made us different. I'm very different to my husband. My husband is very different to me. And I'm learning to be okay with the differences. I'm a lot better at being okay with the differences than I was seven and a half years ago when we got married. But I'm learning to um, love the differences that we have. But when we first got together, it was quite obvious to me that we were very different and we thought very different about things. I'll give you an example. So Daniel and I were dating and we'd got engaged and I said to Dan, why didn't you come over for dinner after work? So throughout the day, unfortunately, I wasn't feeling very well. My stomach had lots of cramps and I was feeling really rough. And I'd been waiting all day. I managed to make dinner for both of us. So he came home, well, to my house. He came round to my house and he said, oh, hi, how was your day? And I said, oh, I've had such a rough day. I'm not feeling very well. I've been ill. And he looked at me and he said, take some paracetamol, have a drink of water, sit down and you'll be fine. And I was like, oh. I was sharing a house with girls at the time. Girls wouldn't have responded like that. So I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to marry this guy. What am I going to do? No, I didn't. I was like, right, okay, this is a really good opportunity to teach him that women don't need that. We actually need something else. So he'd already walked into the kitchen where the food was, because I've learned that guys like food. And as I followed him in there, I said, hey, you know that you just told me to get some paracetamol and have some water. When I'm not okay, or when there's a problem, or when something's wrong, Instead of doing that, could you please like give me a hug and some sympathy? I've been on my own all day. It's been a rough day. That's what I actually need. And he looked at me and he went, oh, okay, yeah, which is great because he's humble and he received it. So anyway, I got over it. I was fine. Uh, we had dinner, da, da, da. A few weeks later, driving along in my car and a light came on on the dashboard I don't know what it is. I'm not mechanically minded. I don't really understand cars, but my husband does. Well, my fiance at the time. So Dan was coming around again. So he knocked on the door and he came in. He's like, hey, how are you? I'm like, oh, I'm great. Well, this light's come on and the dashboard on my car. And he looked at me, looked at me and he went, oh, are you okay? And gave me a hug. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> 
I said, I don't need a hug. I need you to fix the car. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, men and women are so different. Because to me, that's obvious. And maybe to women, that's obvious. But actually, guys don't think the same. So that was interesting. But do you know what? I thought, I'm still learning the differences. But God knows we're different. And God's put us together. And he's put us together for a purpose. And actually, as we've now journeyed through seven and a half years of marriage, I am so pleased he is so different to me. Because he's good at things that I'm not good at. And I'm good at things that he's not good at. For example, if you come to our house for a meal, I will be cooking it. Because the first meal that Dan ever made me was chicken curry, which he made too spicy, but I had heard that if you put yogurt in it, it cools it down, so he added strawberry yogurt. <laughs> Hence the reason I will cook for you if you come to eat with us. But it's okay. Have the last seven and a half years been comfortable for me? No, not all the time. Has it been easy? No. Is it right? Absolutely. It's absolutely right. When you first came into this church, did you meet a church full of people who were the same as you? I didn't. Is it wrong? No. God's made us all different. He's made us all to be here. And if you're here, we're so glad that you are because you bring something different to everybody else. And it's brilliant because we all need to work together to be church. We are the bride of Christ. That is who he has made us to be. The thing is, we've all come from the same position. We've all had time away from God, haven't we? Maybe knowingly or unknowingly. We've had time away from him. So we've all done things wrong, which is why we all need him. So we've all got something in common. So actually, we've got something to relate to in each other. Because sometimes when we see certain people, we don't want to honour them. Or maybe you do, you're much more holy than I am. Sometimes it's easy to put those eyes of judgment on and to say, I don't need to love that person. I don't need to value that person. I know what's happened. Well, do you know what? We all have sinned and fallen short, haven't we? We all need grace. We all need the cross. We all need Jesus. We all need the power of the Holy Spirit to live in all the time. We've all been forgiven. We've all been saved. We've all been saved from our sin and forgiven from it. All of our messes pre and post our decisions to make Jesus Lord of our life. We've all got them. So we have something in common. It's like Alan said last week, we are not an organization. We are a family. It's true, isn't it? Turn to the person next to you and say, hey bro, or hey sis. We need to find a way to honour. We need to find a way to accept people. If it's not our normal and it's not comfortable, it's okay because we've all got something in common. We're all in this family together, aren't we? We're not alone. We came here. There's something here that we like, hopefully. We're family. We're in this together. I've been on a journey with God on many things. But one thing is, I want to be able to honour people. And I don't always get it right. But there are a couple of examples of times when I feel like God has really helped me. And I wanted to share them with you because Jesus always teaches with stories and I think they're really helpful. So there was one time 
about 11 years ago, I was living in Australia and I joined a um, team, um, the church that I was part of had a ministry called Street Teams, which was an outreach project. And we used to put on our orange t-shirts, like an army, and go out onto the streets and basically just do anything that we could to help people. So we used to put flyers around um, the district where the church was and we used to say, hey, do you need anything doing? We're a church, we're here and, and we want to help you. So do you need your house painting? Do you need some gardening doing? Do you need your house cleaning? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you want to go for a coffee? Anything. So sometimes people would call up and we'd have appointments to go to people's houses to help them clear their garden or whatever it was on that particular day. And sometimes there, was, there wasn't a specific task or appointment and we would just literally go and walk around the streets being identifiable in our bright orange t-shirts. And um, we often would go and speak to groups of Aboriginal people who tended to congregate in the streets where we were um, to drink alcohol. So they were often lying in the street, very, very broken people, and it was quite difficult to connect with people, um, as it would be in that situation, because there's not really anything that you can have in common with someone like that, or certainly I didn't. I didn't have anything that I could relate to them with. And there was this one particular lady, and I've forgotten what her name is, but she was someone that the groups who went out on the street teams always tried to connect with, and she was always so drunk. She was so far away from being reached. It was almost like a project. Can we get her to just engage with us so that we can just tell her that she is so loved and she is so cherished by God? But no one was ever able to connect with her, to have a, a connection with her. So being brand new there, I thought, God, do you know what? You can do anything. If you can use me, give me something that I can say to this lady so that we can have a connection with her to help her get out of this horrible mess that she's in. So I just went up to her and I said, hey, I'm from England. Is there anywhere you think I should see while I'm here in Sydney? And she didn't say anything. So we carried on talking to other people there. And about 10 minutes later, she came up to me and she looked straight at me and she said, you need to go and see the bridge. And everybody around me went, they were just shocked because she'd actually engaged and she had connected and she had heard me from the stupor that she was in. And I thought, God, you are amazing. And you know what the connection was? Was because I valued her. I put myself through the grace of God. I put myself in a position that was beneath her. I put myself in a vulnerable position to ask her a question that I couldn't answer because she had something that I didn't. She had knowledge of the area. And sometimes to build a bridge to people, we need to find some kind of common ground. We need to humble ourselves. That's why pride can't stay. We have to humble ourselves. We have to get on people's level to connect with them. God's always got a way. Do you know that? God's always got something that he wants to say to us. He's always got something that he wants to say to those people around us. He is completely, madly, passionately in love with every single person on the planet. He's got something individual to say. And I believe that if we just stand and say, God, what do you want to say to this person? He will give us something profound. And it might not sound profound. It might come in the form of, where can I visit while I'm in Sydney? It doesn't sound profound. But actually, the message that she got was, I'm important. I've got something to contribute to someone else. I'm not just looked at like I'm this mess. She'll be aware of how she's acting and she'll be aware of where she's at. She doesn't need condemnation. She doesn't need someone to tell her to stop drinking. She needs someone to connect with her. She needs someone to value her, like all of us do. We all need to be valued. We all need to know that we're important. We all need to know that we matter. You matter. Something else that happened, I had another opportunity to just put value on somebody. Um, it was uh, just before Christmas last year, I was with my little daughter Lily in the post office 
and um, she's very cute. She just turned two and she attracts attention because she's cute and she smiles at everybody. So we're in the queue for the post office ready to post some Christmas gifts and um, I had her in the pram with me and a gentleman behind me was looking at Lily saying, oh, she's so cute. I was like, I know, she's mine. <laughs> I'm a proud mummy. And he said, well, they're all right when they're that age. Just wait till they're older. Surprising how many people have said that to me. I don't receive it. I'm going to have great kids all the way through. And I said, oh, do you have children? Building a connection. Do you have children? Yeah, I've got four. And then he started to pour out his life story to me. I don't know if people do this to you, but people do this to me. Must have one of those faces. And he just started saying he is in the worst financial situation. His children have almost bankrupted him. They are all, four of his children are expecting to get about £600 from him for Christmas. And he did not know where he was going to get the money from. And he was like, you know when you meet someone and you're like, oh my goodness, if one more thing happens to you, you are going to crumble. He looked like that physically. His face was so haggard. You could tell he was just tired of being alive. And I was like, oh, just so sad. And immediately I just felt really sad for him. And then it was my turn to go to the um, counter, thank you. Uh, so it was my turn. So as I'm sorting out my parcels, I'm like talking to God. Isn't it amazing? You can talk to him anywhere, anytime. So I'm at the counter. I was like, God, what do you need this man to hear? I know what I want to say to him. What do you need him to hear? And he said, tell him he is a great dad. Tell him he is important. It's like, brilliant then it was his turn so as we swap places I said you are so important you are a brilliant dad and he looked at me and he went nobody has ever said that to me before he must have been like in his late 50s 60s no one has ever told him that he's important that he matters on planet earth that nearly broke my heart I couldn't believe that no one had ever told him that or he'd never heard those words I thought no wonder life is so hard for you so anyway then it was his turn so he went to the counter did whatever he needed to do and I thought do you know what he needs to remember this because it's not actually just about words that he hasn't heard he needs to remember it god how can he remember it so I just bought him a box of chocolates and then when he'd finished Lily and I were just hanging around by the door and I just said it to him again because repetition's important when you haven't heard something before. And when we need to remember something, repeating is good. So I said, you are so important. There's a God in heaven who loves you and he believes you're important. And you're a great dad. And I've, we've, Lily and I have got you these chocolates just to remind you. And as you eat them, please remember how important you are. And then he couldn't speak. His tears, he had tears in his eyes. So I was, didn't know what to do really, so I gave him a bit of room. So we walked out and he just followed me and he was just astounded. He couldn't believe it. And doesn't God want to do that for all of us? He wants us to know the absolute truth that, he, that we are completely, completely loved and we are completely valued. I don't know if I'll ever see that man again, but I know that he received some truth that day and he was valued by God who's so wants everybody to feel that way he wants everyone to feel valued and everyone to feel loved and I believe that God's got a way for all of us to bring that if we just pause in our day and take that moment God what do you want to say to this person how can you father God in heaven connect with this person on earth who maybe doesn't know how to hear your voice we can be a vessel we can bring his truth and his light and his life and his love out of our mouth or out of our action, loving God, loving people. We can do that. We can be part of somebody's story. Isn't that amazing? That blows me away that I would be able to do that. Seeing people through heaven's gaze. What a brilliant way to see. I'm not sure if I'll ever invent anything in my lifetime but if I could it would be something like this
probably minus the nose. They would be glasses to see the way that God sees. I would love to be able to see everybody the way that God sees them. Kind of like x-ray vision, maybe superhero-ish. But that is the way that I want to be. So I want to look at someone and say, wow, Deborah, look what's inside of you. You have got the most beautiful gift I have ever seen. Wow, God, good job. Wow, look at Shirley. I can see the gold that is inside of you. God has made you his own special treasure. You are priceless. Jack, you are incredible. What an amazing guy. God has made you fearfully and wonderfully in every part. God, look what you did. I can see what you did in this person. It's amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing to see through heaven's eyes? Hang on a minute. I'll just put my God lenses on that won't look this ridiculous, of course. I'd make them look cool <laughs> if that's possible. I know I can't really invent this, but wouldn't that be amazing? I'll just look at you the way that God sees you. Not the way I see you, but the way that God does. Wouldn't that be incredible? And then we can get rid of some rubbish. Because in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is when he's trying to find a king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But where does God look? At the heart. He looks inside people because that's the bit that actually matters. That's why we need our God lenses on. That's why we want to have heaven's viewpoint on somebody to value them and honor them and see them the way that God sees them instead of what our eyes see us and the world filters which are sometimes not helpful. In fact, they are very detrimental. But heaven's perspective and God's eyes are the way that we want to see. Having love as our motive and honoring others as our outward expression. That is the ultimate way to be family. We don't need the music again. To be part of this beautiful bride, which is you. You are a bride. We are the bride of Christ. That is the whole purpose of the church. Revelation 22 verse 17. Almost right at the end of the Bible. The spirit and the church, the bride of Christ, are completely aligned. The spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit always says, come, come. Usher in, come and be with me. I want you to know the truth. I love you. I value, I accept you. And now it's our turn. Because this verse says the spirit and the bride. That's our job, to be honoring to be welcoming, to be valuing, to be loving other people and say, come. Someone you meet who's broken, I know where you can come. Come with me. Come into God's house. Come into his presence. I know where you can get some help. I know where people are going to see you, the real you. Not the mess that life has over you, but the real you. I know people who will put on stupid glasses to see you because you are valuable. And you are worth it. And by the way, this isn't really your home. Heaven is your home. There is a place where you belong that is not of this earth. A place where you will find identity and belonging. The spirit and the bride in total agreement and partnership say come. You are welcome. You fit here because you fit with God. doesn't matter how different you are. You are welcome. Love God. Love people. 
And of course, the other bit we didn't touch on before was when you love others, you love your neighbor, you love them as yourself. Do you know you are the most important person in your life? You are the most important person in your life. Because if you don't work, nothing around you is going to work. God places value on you, and so do we. You are important. We love you and we value us. No. We value you. You are important. Like Alan taught us over the last couple of teaching sessions that we've had here, your position in this family is son and daughter. And therefore you hold authority. You walk with authority. On this earth, you walk with authority. You have the power inside you to awaken the potential in somebody else. Because that's exactly what Holy Spirit does. He sees us. He invites us, he tells us to come, and then he awakens us. He awakens something inside us, and he invites us to come with him on this adventure through life. But do you know that we never do it alone? We do it with him, and we do it with each other. And I just want to finish tonight with a sound. You know, because God created us, he is always cheering us on. When we read the passage before from Philippians, it, the analogy was about running a race. And we do, we run a race through life, but you know what? We have cheerleaders. And I believe that the sound in heaven over each individual life in this room is that you are supported and that you are celebrated and that you are chosen and that you can do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Whatever he's destined you to do in your life, he will help you to get there. So I'm going to play something now, or Mark is, and I just want you to receive this for you. This is exactly what heaven thinks of you, just for you. So if you want to close your eyes and just listen, this is for you. <laughs> 